This is the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy. Season 3, Episode 4. The Assassination of Olaf Palma Solved. Maybe. Maybe not. Swedish prosecutors have named a man, they say, shot and killed the Swedish Prime Minister Olaf Palma in 1986. After 34 years of mystery, conspiracy theories, and botched investigations, even more contorted and convoluted than the JFK assassination, they say that the assassin was Stig Engström, a Swedish insurance executive who committed suicide in the year 2000. Palma's son, Martin, said the prosecutors reached the right conclusion. Quote, However, it was a bit disappointing that they didn't have conclusive evidence, like DNA or a weapon, that they could trace to the crime, unquote. So no weapon, no DNA, no confession, no clear motive, and the assassin killed himself 20 years ago? Why should Sweden accept this conclusion? On its face, it looks very weak and an exercise in a bureaucratic tidying up of files rather than a watertight verdict that brings some certainty and closure to the Swedish people. Who was Olaf Palma, and why did the case linger unsolved for 34 years? And some say it is still unsolved. Here are the facts. On Friday, February 28, 1986, the Prime Minister and his wife, Lisbeth, decided to join their son, Martin, at the movies. Palma dismissed his security detail for the night, which he often did. He and his wife took the subway, like any other ordinary Stockholmers, downtown to the theater, where they met Martin and his girlfriend. When the film was over, about 11.15, the four of them left the theater, and they parted ways. Palma and Lisbeth headed down Spiagen, Sweden's busiest street, and Martin and his girlfriend headed in the opposite direction. Walking briskly towards the subway entrance, an assailant came up behind the prime minister and his wife, shooting him in the back at point-blank range with a .357 Magnum. Lisbeth was also shot. The assailant fled down the street and turned to a small side street. The street was busy with pedestrians who saw the gunman flee. But... It happened so fast and at night that no one caught a clear view of his face, nor did the pedestrians on the street realize that the man who was lying on the ground was their prime minister, and nor were there any police nearby because the prime minister had dismissed his security detail for the night. As you can see, it looks like a confluence of the perfect storm right there on the streets of Stockholm. In the ensuing pandemonium, the crime scene was hopelessly compromised and it took up to 10 minutes for an ambulance 
and the police to arrive on the scene. 11.30 p.m., a cold winter night, when most pedestrians were eager to get home, was the time of this assassination. Palma was pronounced dead at the scene. Lisbeth was taken to the hospital and treated for a gunshot wound. Peaceful, low-crime Sweden awoke on Saturday morning to the shocking news that the prime minister had been shot dead on a busy Stockholm street. His wife had life-threatening injuries, and there was no suspect in custody. Crime scene theory says that the first 48 hours after a crime, after a murder, is critical to solving the crime. Once you pass the 48-hour threshold and the clock continues ticking, solving the crime becomes less and less likely. And that was clearly the case in the Palma assassination. Over 130 suspects claimed they were the assassin over the years. Eventually, Lisbeth picked out a suspect from a lineup, and his name was Christer Peterson, a petty criminal with a lengthy rap sheet. He was tried and convicted for the assassination, but it was later dismissed, the conviction was later dismissed on appeal because the prosecution was not able to prove any motive on the part of Peterson, nor was any weapon found. Peterson went on to pose nude for Swedish Hustler magazine, and he died in 2004. Palma was born in 1927 to an aristocratic family and joined Sweden's dominant Social Democratic Party in 1949. A protege of long-serving Prime Minister Tag Erlander, the father of the Swedish welfare state, Palma succeeded him as party leader and prime minister in 1969. He served as Sweden's prime minister for 17 years, from 1969 to 1986. And during his term, he aggressively expanded the welfare state, curbed the role of the monarchy, increased taxes, and created a prominent role for himself on the world stage. And it was his ambitious and idealistic foreign policy actions which earned him many enemies on the international level, as well as enemies among Swedish conservatives. Internationally, Palma's vociferous opposition to apartheid in South Africa earned him the, the anger of South Africa, but of course support from the African National Congress, the ANC. He had also taken a stand against the Kurdish PKK as a terrorist organization. And finally, Swedish arms conglomerate Bofors was implicated in a corruption bribery scandal in India and the sale of weapons to New Delhi.
So at the time of his death, you had a couple of international suspects, if you will, the South Africans, the Kurds, and possibly the Swedish right wing because of this arms scandal. Now, enter Swedish crime writer Stieg Larsson. His award-winning crime novels like The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and The Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest helped elevate Swedish crime fiction to a global literary phenomenon. But Larsson was first and foremost a journalist. He was working for the Stockholm office of the Swedish news agency at the time of the assassination, and he played a small role in some of the reporting on the crime of the century. While his success as a crime writer was cut short by a fatal heart attack in 2004 at the age of 50, he was first and foremost a Palma assassination buff. He left behind 20 boxes full of documents, newspaper clippings, and letters on his research. It was a treasure trove of Palma assassination material. He spent all of his free time researching right-wing networks in Sweden in true investigative reporting tradition. His model was Jerry Gable. Jerry Gable is the editor of the UK-based magazine Searchlight, which covers extremist movements all over Europe. So Stiga mounted his own personal investigation of the Palma killing, working closely with Jerry Gable in London. And Jerry Gable, of course, in London, had his own intelligence connections, both in Britain and in other countries. So Stieg Larsson essentially created his own personal Warren Commission, if you will, into the Palma killing. A few days after the assassination, the first suspect was arrested. His name was Victor Gunnarsson. He was a loner with right-wing organization connections. Larson realized that his own private research could be relevant to the solving of the murder. So one year after the killing of Palma, Stieg Larson delivered a 30-page memo to the Swedish police about an alleged middleman in the assassination called Bertil Wenden. Larson had obtained much of this info from Gable in London. Wedden was a former Swedish military officer and active in London's Swedish business community in the early 1980s. Bertil Wedden had shadowy contacts with Swedish and South African intelligence. The Swedish intelligence organization, the acronym is SAPO, S-A-P-O, and the South African intelligence organization was called the Bureau of State Security, or BOSS, its acronym. 
Three months before Palma's assassination, Wedden had moved to northern Cyprus, and northern Cyprus, which is the Turkish part of the uh, Cyprus island, is an infamous haven for anyone who's trying to avoid extradition anywhere. And Mr. Wedden still lives in northern Cyprus. Swedish police took Stieg Larsson's research seriously and said in 1987 that their main theory in the assassination was a South African connection. South Africa wanted to get rid of one of its fiercest opponents of apartheid, and Swedish right-wingers wanted him gone for selling out Sweden to the Soviet Union and because of the Beaufort's arms deal. One of Stieg's collaborators was a fellow by the name of Jan Stocklasse. And Jan Stocklasse has been going through the 20 boxes of Palma assassination material, and he has written his own book entitled The Man Who Played With Fire. And it details Stieg Larsson's investigation into the Palma assassination. Before Stocklasse published his book last year, the Swedish police asked for copies of the galleys to be reviewed before publication as they continued in their search for an assassin. Bertil Wedden denies vehemently any role in the murder, and South African information continues to dribble in. The book also recounts the failure of the Swedish judicial system, whether it's the Julian Assange case that we're all familiar with, to the ASAP Rocky rapper case last year, and President's Trump, President Trump's intervention to get them released from Sweden. All of which brings us full circle to the solution of the crime. Stig Enstrom was a graphic designer for Scandia Insurance Company. The prosecutor says that with the benefit of 34 years hindsight, he was the assassin. He had been working late at the Scandia headquarters that Friday night. He even said he had tried to resuscitate Palma at the killing scene. Is this beginning to sound like one of the convoluted JFK conspiracy threads? The assassin tried to resuscitate the man he had just assassinated? On its face, the definitive closure the Swedish prosecutor promised by naming Engström as the assassin seems far-fetched. Even Engström's widow says he was too much of a coward to pull the trigger. My sources for today's podcast include the BBC, The Guardian, Expressen, The New Republic, and some of those 20 boxes of materials which Stieg Larsson 
tantalizingly left behind. This is your host, Jim Herlihy, signing off for the San Francisco Experience from America's favorite city, San Francisco.